Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. All right, there we are again with two good friends that uh, you, audience, probably heard before. I hope so, because if you haven't, after this conversation, I'm going to have to go back on Redefining Society and listen to the three episodes that we already had to introduce the High Alert Institute. And... Uh, so their 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 sub headline on the name it's unexpected solution for the unexpected. So if you haven't heard that, what it is about before, I think you're starting to get an idea. But before we uh, we go deeper into one of the many many area, and that's why we had three episodes to just introduce what the High Alert Institute is and does. I am going to introduce my guests today, which are the same on the first three episodes, which is Dr. Maurice Ramirez and Alison Sakara. Welcome to the show again. Thank you, Marco, and hello to everyone. My name is Alison Sakara, and I am the executive director of the High Alert Institute. We are a 501c3 that is located here in Lake Wales, Florida. And I'm Dr. Maurice Ramirez. I am the chairperson of the board and co-founder of the High Alert Institute. High Alert Institute is a public charity that operates in the One Health, One Nature, All Hazards uh, arena. We have operations in disaster education and disaster behavioral health, environmental stewardship and determinants of health, animal wellness and mutual aid for animal for aquatic animals. And most interestingly today, uh, space healthcare and innovation. And that, you know, gets me excited. I mean, I'm excited for everything that we've talked so far. Don't get me wrong, but I was re-listening actually our last, uh, the, the episode number three of the introduction where we talk about AI medicine and how, uh, you know, we, we're strategizing the presence of humans on Mars and on the moon and how 
legal coming between and, and delay in communication and how we have to rely on artificial intelligence. So I know that today the idea is to kind of put everything together and just, just to remind to the audience uh, in case they haven't heard the beginning, there is an entire concept here, which is the one health, one nature, and that one thing means that there is synergy. It doesn't matter what the um, the high alert is about, if it's a natural disaster, if it's in some other kind of, of disaster and situations, it can be strategized. And this is this is what, what you guys do, right, um, Alison? Absolutely. And the whole concept of all hazards, one health, one nature, is all things being interconnected. It's not just humans or in a separate category as animals and plants and the environment and climate change. All things are linked. All things are interconnected. And the actions taken in any one arena are going to affect every living creature and the habitats in which they live. You would think that people would have that figure out by now, that we're all connected, but I guess we still need people to explain. Oh, no, you're absolutely correct, uh, Marco. It's not a new idea. The entire concept of, of One Health and One Nature has been around for almost 100 years. Uh, but it's very easy for people to carry things in small buckets, silos, and to think about those things that most immediately affect them. But when it comes to innovation, and particularly when it comes to, to space, we have to think more broadly. And when we talk about all hazards, one health, one nature, it isn't just even on Earth, but the lessons that we have learned on Earth, we have to carry to space. And as we learn new lessons and create new innovations for space, we have to carry those back here home to Earth to benefit everybody. It makes sense to me. So... Why uh, why haven't we got there earlier? <laughs> well, why haven't we gotten there earlier? There have been a lot of efforts over the years to innovate healthcare with technology. Uh, going back into the 1980s with the advent of the IBM XT and AT and, and token ring networks, there were efforts to create electronic medical records with the with the lofty ideal of learning from every patient interaction for every provider and somehow bringing all of that knowledge together there were a lot of obstacles and continue to be a lot of obstacles privacy laws data boundaries uh, even just computing power and the ability to correctly analyze and summarize these free text databases as well as numerical databases uh, these are these are the challenges, but now that we're headed back to the moon, now that we are planning to go to Mars, there are certain pieces of safety equipment that are being mandated, not just of government-related spaceflight, the 22 international space agencies, but also of private industry spaceflight. It's no different than having an altimeter on on an aircraft. You can't fly without an altimeter in your jet. Nobody's going to give you a license to fly it. The same is true for going to space. 
They're, the international space agencies have gotten together and drafted documents. What will be required for healthcare? And how will healthcare IT, healthcare information technologies and innovations, be an integral part of the safety of spaceflight and the safety of future astronauts and inhabitants of other worlds? Yeah, you know, when I ask that, I was trying to be provocative because um, I always assume that there are always good intention and that sometimes we just don't have the tools to get there. And I believe technology and the convergence of different technology can come together, as you just explained, to allow what a vision that has been there for a long time. And I can think of, you know, electric cars um, that to, to make it go longer enough, recharge them fast enough, and we're not even there yet, but, you know, to make it a, something that everybody can use, uh, you need to have the convergence of the right technology to do it. So uh, thankfully, we, we're getting there, despite people thinking, talking about AI in a, in a good way and people being, uh, being afraid of it. But let, let's dive into, I don't know who wants to take this, but like what, what is exactly the A-H-O-H-N, also as all as ours, one health, one nature, and, and how does this work and how does this make a difference in achieving the, the long-term goal that you, you, you're having? Well, All Hazards, One Health, One Nature, or AHAN, is an, a framework that is known by a number of names internationally. Some countries call it global health. Others call it one health. The United States currently is calling it one health security. Uh, but the concept is that not only do we need to look at human health care and human diseases, but we need to consider environmental health, climate change, uh, animal diseases, animal diseases that can be caught by humans, animal diseases that cannot be caught by humans, but impact food chains, uh, food, food chain security, food insecurity, even things like medical informatics, bi uh, biosecurity, and cybersecurity all need to be part of this consideration for policy, for spending, and, and for individual organizations to build and work together to better the human condition and the planet as a whole. And how is it working in terms of putting together different government? You said this is something that, of course, any, any uh, government uh, all over the world is looking at, maybe some more, some less, but you always think that when you look at the globality of things and, and the proof is something goes wrong in the supply chain, it goes wrong uh, pretty much everywhere. So this interconnectedness of, of our life now, uh, we, we clearly see it, I think, lately, even because of the war, unfortunately, or because the pandemic or because something goes wrong, like a cyber attack or something like that. Do you, are you guys finding that we are at the right time for people in different government to really come together and, and, make, and make this step? Yes, at, a, at an international policy and diplomacy level, as well as within individual governments throughout the EU, British, uh, Canada, the United States, Australia, the, the Far East, uh, and even the Middle East, 
literally every country at this point has some form of an all hazards, one health, one nature uh, framework that they are realigning their their economies, they're realigning their their policies uh, and even their legislation around, and they're using it as a forum for diplomatic cooperation. The understanding that anything that any country does, that any business does, that even individuals do, affects the whole, came home to roost, as they say, during the pandemic, as you mentioned, with supply chains, uh, but also with food chains and with, and with diseases. Uh, other than COVID-19, but also with COVID-19. And as a result, countries that had considered policies over the years uh, and worked in some way or another in an all-hazards, one-health, one-nature framework over the last decade or two are now focusing their efforts through, through that specific lens towards more international cooperation and of course, it also feeds directly into what the 22 space agencies and human society as a whole is looking to do uh, with mo the moon and Mars, as well as within the healthcare industry, the healthcare delivery system internationally, what we're looking to do to address issues like healthcare disparity, uh, healthcare shortages, uh, food shortages, and again, climate change. And maybe Alison or, or Maurice, some, can you give us some concrete example of certain areas where certain step has been made so far, just so that the audience can understand how is the concrete uh, and pragmatic application of this vision, it's starting to shape and, and what are the, the effects that people will see and, you know, at, at a social level um, in this regard. Absolutely, Marco. I, I think that while everybody would, had a, a very sharp focus on COVID-19 over the last three years, what they didn't realize was that internationally, uh, the WHO and individual countries were also watching the health of animals and the environment. And the reason they were doing this was to be able to predict additional diseases that may come out during the pandemic. And in fact, we saw that this past winter uh, with the triple-demic. We had RSV two years in a row at much higher than normal rates, not only here in the United States, but worldwide, and not just among children, but among adults, which is very unusual. But it was seen because we were watching for it. It was predicted we knew that it was coming and healthcare was able to prepare for it so that it never reached an overwhelm point. The same was true with, with, uh, with, with high contagion uh, avian flu. This was seen as early for this year. It was seen as early as April 2022 internationally in bird flocks and tracked as it crossed the planet uh, and isolated in many cases to, uh, to bird populations. And as a result, the, the potential for a devastating uh, avian flu epidemic in the United States and other countries was averted because of that biosurveillance and interventions that were, that were made before the disease could jump from bird, uh, birds to people. 
the same the same use of a of a one health one nature model looking at all hazards as shared hazards is how we will address healthcare in the future both here on earth and in space and like many innovations in the early 60s and through the 70s and even up until today have come from space flight and sp and efforts in outer space we're going to see the next big innovation in ai healthcare more than likely come to us through the through these efforts to develop programs in space and the Hilert Institute is involved in the AI based uh, decentralized interglobal think of it as interplanetary medical expert system development for that ecosystem of software that has the ability to provide not only advice to providers but a patient centric care Allison describes it as, as petals on a flower uh, in, okay. in how it works uh, because it combines what has been what has been recommended and proposed by experts uh, in AI for over a decade in how to provide how to advance medical informatics, how to advance uh, electronic medical record systems and patient advisory systems and provider advisory systems. Uh, to to become more democratic, if you will, in the type and extent of healthcare that is available regardless of where you live. So, Marco, mm -hmm. as our audience will recall, yeah, the AI Dimes model involves the six layers that were outlined by the international space uh, agencies in their. Uh, XMC document that those six layers include the ability to for an AI to crawl the electronic medical records of all patients, uh, as well as to derive predictive models from all from all patients and all providers. It then looks at all communities, those determinants of health, those things in the environment, those things where we live, work, play, learn, and worship that can impact our individual as well as our health as communities and as groups. Uh, at level four, it involves looking at the scientific literature, those data that are controlled and rigorously collected, both the scientific literature as well as, as uh, research databases and government databases that look at outcomes disease prevalences, side effects, and even failure modes. In the center of this system is a decentralized database combined with an advisory system for healthcare providers. That system creates the most, not only the most likely successful treatment for a given diagnosis, but a hierarchical list of the, of the most successful treatments given the patient's demographics, their locality, the communities, jobs, and everything that else that impacts their healthcare, as well as the skill set and those things that impact the provider's ability to provide that care, including locality. Uh, this is all important on Earth because in space, we haven't flown enough people yet, let alone enough sick people, to have a solid basis 
in science for treatment in space. So we're forced to extrapolate from an earthly experience. The advantage back here on earth is that with an advisory system like this, it's possible for healthcare providers to not only tell a patient what's most likely to work, what would give them the best outcome, but also using sentimentality engines and, and other metrics, what is most likely to be acceptable to the patient based on the kinds of choices for their healthcare that they've made in the past and give them a relative likelihood of success of those and other choices. That's incredibly powerful for concepts like patient autonomy and patient choice, as well as providing a, a basis for patient education and for improving the provider-patient relationship, for improving communication in healthcare. Well, this is fascinating, and, and I would like to highlight the fact that this, it's all data-centric. Um, I'm just going to try to simplify the concept here, meaning that, like, even you talk about, I don't know, a, a chat, um, GTP that everybody's talking about now when they say, you know, it can predict what is the next word that goes well with the next and come out with a very good text is because being fed gazillions of information almost digesting like you see in the sci-fi movie the the ai is digesting all the content of the internet until a certain point and kind of predict what is the style that is expected by a um a user that has to write i don't know a poetry in the style of shakespeare or something like that the reason why i'm saying this is because what i'm what i want to go is that we are using AI and machine learning as a tool that is going to make our job, um, let's put it the way, our job a lot, a lot easier by being able to aggregate data and produce results in probably milliseconds um, of, of what it would take to many doctors to meet and figure out, look at results, look at scan and, and, and all of that. So Maurice and Alison, I mean, you're, you're, expertise obviously is in the in the healthcare and i feel like people can understand how we can use ai to to get to a better uh, diagnostic let's say of what can be done but the question at this point may be okay when when we look at that and and somebody's in space what what are we planning to do who who is going to do what in space once we know what the action is, because obviously they're not here at the at the UCLA uh, Medical Center or New York or anywhere else in the in the world. Right on the nose, Marco. Absolutely. Um, but let me try to answer that in a couple of stages here, and maybe we'll bring Dr. Ramirez in for part of it as well. Um, as we you were talking about all the different types of informations funneling back into trying to be able to make better diagnoses, better outcomes. That's absolutely true. But again, in keeping with in mind the little flower diagram, if you will, you have every single petal outstretching and then coming back to the center. The center has to always be the patient. That always has to be what you're trying, what you're trying to do the best for. So yes, we have in we have one petal that goes out 
and looks at all of the information about that patient from their medical histories, for instance, uh, their individual test results, things that are very highly specific to them. Then you have another pedal, which all the patients in that area seen at that same institution or by that same doctor or in that same clinic, and how are things going for them? And how can that perhaps help that, that individual patient? You go on to another pedal, and as Maurice was mentioning, determinants of health, things in the environment or in, their, in the society in which they are being raised uh, or, or living or working or playing or worshiping that, that then circle back to impact on, that, on their, their understanding of healthcare and in their understanding and their, ex, their acceptance of different healthcare ways. Then you have another pedal that's circling out there and coming back to the center that is all the information that could be gained from scientific studies, from peer-reviewed literatures, from controlled registries, from ongoing clinical trials, from real world evidence. And then you kind of get to that final pedal that's going out there and bringing information back. And that's more where we have the interpretations that might come from the AI itself as it learns more and focuses back into the center to that patient. Now we can make that jump into space. You have another arena that's going to impact all of us. All the things that we learn from traveling in space, having habitats that are on other planets, the moon, the Mars, those things are just right around the corner. That is gonna funnel back to every single patient as well. Think how one small example on, on, the pla on planet Earth has, has impacted on that. We have something called a hyperbaric chamber. Yes, it was designed to help divers who had surfaced too suddenly and needed to be treated for the bends. But look at all the other in ways that that has been implemented on planet Earth to benefit animals and humans for things like diabetic wounds. All of that comes back and focuses back to that same centered. How can we do the best for that patient to make things as an individual po as possible, as culturally acceptable as possible? take into account all the diversity on the planet and reach people where they need to be reached. And Allison's exactly correct. When you look at, at this going out into space, we're developing these technologies so that we can overcome the, the latencies and, and delays in communication that you mentioned at the, at the top of the podcast in the event that the healthcare providers are part of the injured or part of the ill or themselves have, have died as a result of whatever catastrophe occurred in that habitat on Mars. And you have a two-year delay until you can get a new healthcare team to Mars. You need to provide basic healthcare in an incredibly austere and remote environment compared to Earth. And it may be done by Scotty the engineer or Ahura the communications officer, but it's not going to be Doc, it's not going to be Bones, the medic, who's going to be providing those services. The AI has to be able to, to do that autonomously, to diagnose, to initiate treatment, and to teach a non-healthcare person how to do healthcare for 
two full years, maybe longer, until a new crew can arrive. That's an incredibly powerful benefit here on Earth. Allison often tells audiences about a doctor in Manhattan who is brilliant, top of his field, greatest specialist, and he's altruistic. That person chooses to go to Zimbabwe on a mission trip. Now they're in an austere environment. They're away from all the support systems that they have in Manhattan. They're not, they're not treating the same type of patient from the same background, from the same culture, from the same, with the same environmental challenges, nor do they have all of the resources of their downtown Manhattan practice. They're still the expert in their field. How can they then render the best possible care? A system like an AI dime system can help them adapt their knowledge. And I love watching audiences when Allison describes that because they, they light up, they understand why something like this in space is so important because it brings that technology back for everybody. And that's a big lesson. That's, that's a million dollar question that I get all the time when we talk about space with astronauts or we talk about, you know, why we do research, why we do build the humongous, super expensive particle accelerator in Switzerland just to go and see if we can find, you know, the, the, little, the little new reaction when you slam two, <laughs> two particles together. And, and that's exactly because, number one, yes, we're curious, but number two, we're, we're learning with kind of like pushing the, the limits to live a, a healthier life in our everyday situation. And I have to say that this is, while you guys, you experts, are taking care of this, I think that's why you need to get the support of everyone on, on this planet of ours because they, we need to understand that this is in the interest. I mean, the amount of technology, as you said, or other you know, astronauts that have been on my, on my show before, and like the, the stuff that we use every day that was developed because of those harsh environment and people risking their life to explore so that we could learn a little bit more about ourselves and, and live in a better life here. And Alison, I just love your pedal flower metaphor <laughs> i think it's really easy for people to to understand and also uh, the fact that you mentioned that yes globalization yes uh, generalized thing and everybody collaborating but also in respect of um community uh, different geographic location i think that's that's really important and then from there you jump into the environment um of course, the environment in, uh, in, in, at the North Pole is not the same environment that in the Sahara Desert. So uh, even the, the reference with the doctor working in where he has not all the tools available that we'll have in New York, it needs to adapt. But also probably the diseases are different because of the environment. So I think I'm just trying to recap here for a better understanding for people that are not too versed with this, but also... I, I want to go back to, to space because it sounds like sci-fi. And at the same time, Maurice, I'm thinking the movie Airplane uh, back in the 80s. <laughs> I don't know if I'm dating myself now, but I think everybody has seen that, that thing where, you know, that 
the the captain has a, a, something happen, the pilot, and somebody has to take over, and somebody's trying to tell this person how to land the the airplane. I, I cannot stop thinking about that reference when you're talking to someone um, on Mars where there is absolutely nothing that we can do to transfer ourselves there in uh, in an hour or so. So uh, do you want to please uh, elaborate a little bit more about the vision for the future? Because last time we also spoke about regulation that need to give license of people to uh, that are in the medical field to operate in uh, in space uh, in uh, in another on another planet and what is the vision for all of this like what do you see getting concrete next well we'll be on the moon i believe and i and i know that it is the the idealized timeline for the international space agencies to be on the moon with private with private enterprise with in about five years or so Uh, and that what does the future look like? The future looks very much like the science fiction within limits. It's going to be a place to go to work. People will, will migrate there in the same way that they, they move to other countries to, to take a job for a period of time. If they're on the, whether they're on the moon or they're on Mars, they, they will travel there, they'll live, They'll have families, and because of that, healthcare will have to adapt and learn in those environments all about pregnancy in space, something we've never done with humans. We will have to learn how to, how to raise uh, animals. People will want pets in space. How will we get them there? How will we get them from Earth to, to Mars, even if we start breeding them on Mars from that point forward? Uh, how will we care for them? How will we feed them? Uh, people aren't going to just want uh, astronaut food like you can buy in the in the gift shop at NASA. They're going to want the same <laughs> kinds of foods that they eat here on Earth. I, for some plants, that won't be too difficult to grow. But how are, how are we going to make proteins? Uh, 3D printing of food is a technology that is in its that it's in its infancy but it will be prominent in space uh, and it will be prominent in space because people like their hamburgers. People like their steaks. They like their pork chops. Uh, aquaculture will probably be one of the first uh, transferable living proteins to outer space simply because fish and crustaceans don't care if they're in microgravity. They swim upside down, but as long as you give them a current to orient themselves in, they're quite happy. But that means now we have to have space veterinarians. We're back to that all hazards, one health, one nature model, because now we don't just have the medical officer being in charge of human health care. You can't fly everybody. So you're going to have veterinarians caring for humans. You will have humans caring for caring for domesticated animals and food animals and agricultural animals. And you will have botanists caring for the the plant-based food chain for all of them. And it will be a complex web of professionals and professions and knowledge. And the technology that will draw it together 
will be information-based technologies, including AI and AI dimes type software ecosystems. Well, my, my sci-fi brain is going 100 miles an hour right now. So who are we, who should we send in space first? And I, I'm not talking space like astronauts and, or the International Space Station, which we know that they went from being pilot to then be researcher, geologists, doctors. And uh, some, uh, some people said we should put poets and philosopher in space so that we actually understand about our own humanity. But if we have to limited space, as we, of course, we will have limited space <laughs> to to go to space to to Mars or the Moon, um, in these colonies or in this new uh, civilization that we build there, who, on your opinion, and I'd love to hear from both of you, if you have a crew of I don't know twenty, fifty, who who are these people? Like jack of all trades that can execute a lot of things. Um, engineers, philosophers, who, who, who do you think should be going there? Well, I think probably the most common denominator for all of them is going to be the passion, the passion for exploring, for learning new things, for meeting new people, for living in new ways, for doing new things, and the open-mindedness to look beyond, look beyond what you know, look beyond what you've experienced and being able to and being able to embrace all these new technologies that are going to help fill in the gaps to make it a survivable experience. I have to agree with Allison. There there used to be a a concept of the renaissance man, the renaissance woman. Somebody who they might be a specialist in one area, healthcare, sciences, philosophy, the arts. But they don't let that limit their mind. They don't let that limit their learning. They learn as much as they can about everything they can so that they can do anything that's needed. And you use the phrase, the jack of all trades. I remember my grandfather and I, and I hear the stories about Allison's grandfather and not, and I'm not bringing them up because they're male, because the reality is, is that my mother and Allison's grandmother were also Renaissance people. These are people who, yeah, Allison's grandfather was an electrician in the steel mills in Pittsburgh. My grandfather was a mason in New York City, uh, set the floors after World War II in Grand Central. But my grandfather was also a carpenter, and he could fix a and he could fix a car and a truck. He had one of the first dump truck style pickup trucks uh, because he, he and his buddy sketched out using their third grade educations, but his buddy was a, tr was a truck mechanic, how to install a hydraulic pump and a lift and a hinge in his pickup truck so that he could carry materials in the back of his, in the back of his pickup truck and not have to have a big, a big dump truck in New York City trying to navigate to deliver a quarter load. Uh, these, are, these are people who solve problems in the moment. Uh, they MacGyver them, to borrow from, from the cultural vernacular. <laughs> uh, and and they, MacGyver, they MacGyver them within the newest technology they know how to master. And the new MacGyvers in space 
will be MacGyvering technology. They'll be MacGyvering electronics, but they'll also be MacGyvering the, the physical structures, the drilling equipment, the mining equipment, the, the, the materials transfer equipment, the communications equipment. Imagine the MacGyver 20, 30, 50, maybe it'll take 100 years, who comes up with a way to have a conversation like we're having right now on the internet here on Earth, separated by milliseconds, but it's between Mars and the and Earth, which right now takes 38 minutes. Mm -hmm. What a change that makes, not only there, but here on Earth. They, yeah, there are already companies working on holographic telepresence to the ISS. It's already been tested. Imagine Zoom calls where you're standing in a room and presenting, having a meeting, running a meeting, and everybody around the table is a hologram and it doesn't cost a million or 10 million or 20 million dollars it just runs from your tablet or some other electronic device possibly from from your from a wristband on your and those kinds of macgyverisms those kinds of innovations that ability to see the possible and then make the possible reality that's how humanity has advanced that's how the planet has advanced for good and for bad for all of recorded time absolutely uh it just makes me think that you also need that uh and you said that as well like the macgyver of the mind where recreating society and humor interrelationship in, in an environment, then you're going to grow kids. Uh, you talk about pets, families. Uh, people need to have distraction. People need to have culture. And I, I love this kind of conversation happening on redefining society because there is no, in my opinion, a, a better way to think of how we need to redefine what is important for us when we go uh, to this sci-fi scenario, which is not that sci-fi anymore, <laughs> to actually go and live on the moon. So I think the Renaissance man or woman is exactly what makes us human, right? So uh, I welcome this, and uh, I don't know if uh, I'll be the one that is going to to go there. I, I don't think so, but <laughs> I would love to be the one that talks about this quite a bit. As we as we prepare ourselves for doing it, because Alison, we need that metaphor of a flower, even when we talk about this kind of things. It's we need that poetry. Absolutely, and I see it as a flower of peace as well in my head, because I so much we have such an opportunity with space travel to change how things are on an on an other world things that we didn't get right here, things we're still mm. working on. We have such opportunity to have such a much more inclusive, much more diverse, much more respectful civilization. And I think this, some of these new technologies that we've been discussing with you, Marco, definitely open the doors for breaking down some of those walls. And you remember, Marco, at least I do as a kid, always wanting the do-over when you didn't quite get it right. Mm. Give me another at-bat. 
give me another chance at the basket. Give me another, give me another chance to write the paper. Give me another chance to, to say the right thing. And in, and establishing habitats and civilizations on other worlds is humanity's do-over. Love it. I'm going to end up here because I, I think we went from very highly technical to very psychological and philosophical. <laughs> I, I love this because this is exactly why we have this conversation is to connect our technology with our humanity and how you both said it beautifully. This is a way to you know, get to know our, ourselves a little bit better, not just following whatever happened during the day, but have a vision to to improve ourselves. And and you know, artificial intelligence for me, like a lot of people criticize it, and I go back to the way that people are going to use what is available to them, um, not the framework or the sef- the software network that we are discussing here, but is a way to reflect on who we are. And I don't think that philosopher and ethicists have ever had a much bigger role in talking about technology in our society as we're seeing these day. Ton of conversation and um, and I'm so glad to have this kind of conversation with you because we will go way behind the pragmatism and the strategy of a, a digital healthcare and, and one all absorbed one health, one nature framework where we talk about ourselves. So I I love having this conversation with you. I'm very thankful that you are taking your time to share some more of this conversation with me and our audience uh, in the future. So Maurice and Alison, maybe one last words from you, uh, maybe a teaser of what you're planning to talk to me uh, and, and educate me and the audience next time. Next time we are looking at talking with you more in the all hazards one health, one nature framework uh, about environmental stewardship and determinants of health and the both the challenges and the possibilities that come from paying more attention to our impact as as individuals and as a society on the world around us. Beautiful. So we're coming back to, to Earth for a little bit. All right. So with this, I want to thank everybody for paying attention to this conversation. I hope you have more questions than answers and that you get curious about the um, disorganization and you go and find out more on the website where you will find the link on the the notes of this podcast. And please uh, contribute. This is a beautiful nonprofit organization that uh, we have decided Oh, not with ITSP Magazine to partner up to share their stories. And uh, we really hope that everybody's going to get involved in a way or in another and support everything that they're doing. So again, it's the High Alert Institute and it's highalertinstitute.org. But you will also find information on how to get in touch with Maurice and uh, Allison and the website and the organization on the note. So stay tuned. This is Redefining Society on ITSP Magazine, and we'll catch with you next time. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. 
The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.